Well, good morning. How you guys doing? You doing well? Good. Well, hey, if you don't know me, if this is your first time or visiting or anything like that, my name's David. I'm on staff here, and I have been looking forward to this message for a while. We're going to have a lot of fun today just as we dive in to what God has for us. But before I do that, I need to tell you this. Uh, I am a diehard uh, football fan. And more than that, I mean, I love fall, right? Because fall's great, fall's coming up. There's two things I look forward to, hunting, being in the woods, and football. Okay, anybody else football fans anywhere? All right, all six of us are here. Okay, the rest of you, you'll catch up. So I love football and I love it, um, but I'm a diehard Chicago Bears fan, okay? All right, no boo, what is, that was the weirdest response I've ever heard. First service, they're booing me, and I just said, zip it, okay? Microphone, no microphone. That's how this is gonna work. So diehard Chicago Bears fan, grew up in Chicago, love my Bears, but last year, uh, I had this thing that I was unfamiliar with, and it's called hope. Uh, I was watching our team that for years and years and years has been horrible, and finally, we got some players. They're making stuff happen. We got a new quarterback. We got a new guy on defense. Stuff's moving. So I'm like, yes, finally, this is what I'm talking about. And uh, we get to the end of the season, and Bears are in. They are locked in. They are on the track, headed to the Super Bowl. And I'm just thinking in my head, don't get too excited, but this is going to happen. And so they're in the first playoff game. It's the Bears and the Eagles. And I'm not going to lie, it was a pretty uneventful game. Kind of like, like ping pong. Like they would move down the field and then be a turnover. They'd punt it and then move back down the field. And so back and forth and back and forth. And I'm going, this is like the biggest game of our lives right now. If we don't win this, we don't move on. And so uh, it comes down to like the final minute of the game. And the Eagles move all the way down the field. And in a clutch play, they score and put the Eagles one point above the Bears. So if you're a Bears fan, like myself, this is perfect, right? We got a minute, Mitch Trubisky, he's gonna move it down the field, he's gonna make it happen, we're gonna win the game. And so they move down, this is crazy, it all comes down to 10 seconds left, we bring out our kicker to you know, pop it in nice and easy, and this is what happens. Off he does, 43 yard attempt from the right hash mark. And the Eagles run out into the field, but there's still five seconds, so they've got to get back. He does it again. It will be brought back to the spot of the kick. It will be Philadelphia Did this hit the upright and the crossbar? Bottom line, it doesn't go through upright. It looks like it bounced off the crossbar as well. Oh my goodness, the Bears season's going to end on a double doink. <laughs> One, unbelievable. Okay. How many times can they hit the upright? Five in the stadium. And one last week. Crazy. What a good question. How many times can he hit the upright? You probably remember this if you're a Lions fan because that same kicker hit that post four times in one game. He's either the best kicker in the world or he is the worst kicker to ever play in the NFL because he has an 18 and a half foot hole and he hits the six inch pole next to it. That was my history last year. That was how we ended. And am I still over it? No. 
we're going in, and here's the thing. We as Chicago voted Mitch Trubisky uh, is moving on, and the other kicker has been exiled. So he's gone. He's out. Moving forward. Here's the only reason I show you the video. Here's why I bring this up. Uh, isn't it true that a different team shows up to play in the last minute of the game than any other time before the game? When they come out, right, this is true in football, this is true in basketball, this is true in any sport with a clock, that when the time is coming near and it's getting towards the end and the game is on the line, there is a different team that shows up to play that did not play beforehand. We're in the middle of a series right now called Road Trip. And it's written, uh, these are a number of different letters that the Apostle Paul wrote to different churches, uh, kind of all around the region. And Paul writes this letter, we're going to be in Philippi this week. Paul writes this letter to the Philippians, reminding them we're on the clock. That time is winding down and there's one thing that is more important than anything else and you need to get it and you need to understand it. And so that's why he writes this letter. Let me tell you a little bit more. Paul, uh, he was a church planter. So Paul had this kind of crazy cool history. He's one of my favorite characters in the Bible because he was uh, actually on the opposite team. For a long time, his life, I mean, he was very well-to-do. He was a Pharisee. He was well-educated. He was wealthy. He had power. And so his job, Paul's job, was to see this Christian movement bubbling up and coming up was to crush it, to quash the movement. And Paul had a blank check to do it and no penalties for whatever he did. So Paul just brought the force. He wanted to crush this movement that was built on this character named Jesus. And so he, he pummels it and he fights it and, he, and he's got such accolades and he's got a pedigree that says this is the guy that's in charge. This is the guy who's made it. This is, I mean, he's even a Pharisee. He's a religious leader. He had everything from religious. He was born from the right family. He was wealthy. Everything was on Paul's side. And Paul, in the midst of persecuting this newfound movement called the way, these Christians that we're following Jesus, Paul is on his way to another city and God shows up in Paul's life literally. He's on a horse and it knocks him off the horse and he's blinded and God sent a messenger to him to say this. He asked him this question, why are you persecuting me? Why are you persecuting my church? And in a crazy short amount of time, Paul got to know the person Jesus through a messenger that God had sent that said, this is who Jesus is and he's alive and he's well and he's active and he's God and he has something that he wants to say to you. And so Paul gives his life to the Lord, amazing circumstances, gives his life to the Lord and leaves everything behind. The power, the wealth, the education, the, the pedigree, all of it, leaves it all behind to join the very movement that he thought he existed to crush. And so Paul, as he comes to faith in Jesus, goes to plant a church, and his first church plant was in Philippi. Years and years later, Paul went through an amazing history. Paul was beaten near death. Paul was imprisoned. Paul was persecuted. Paul was kicked out. Paul was arrested. He was moved from place to place, from kingdom to kingdom, from ruler to ruler. The people hated Paul that weren't a part of the Christian movement. They hated him because he was moving the ball forward. And so Paul eventually gets arrested in Jerusalem. He's transferred to Rome and he's in a house and he's under house arrest, under a Roman guard. 
And in the house is when he pens this letter to the Philippians, his first church plan. So let's jump in. Let's see what he says here. This is Philippians 3, starting in verse 7. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them, everybody say this word with me, garbage. Consider them garbage. That I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. This is the letter Paul is writing to them and he's saying, guys, you know me, you know my history, you know my reputation, you know I bring a lot to the table and I'm well-educated and wealthy and powerful and this is me and this is who I am and I've done. And Paul's heart, what we need to hear too, Paul wasn't a villain. Paul was a Jew and believed in his deepest part of his heart that what he was doing was pleasing to God. That he believed he had to stop a movement to preserve Judaism. And he missed Jesus' message. And so God interrupted Paul's life, gave him this message. Paul writes this message, this letter to the Philippian church. And Paul says, all of this stuff that I've done and worked for and built up, this reputation, uh, things that I've, I've done for God, I've done them for him. All of this he considers as garbage. But this word is a funny word. It's one of my favorite words. Uh, the word in Greek is skubalon. So can you say skubalon? Skubalon. Do you know what skubalon means? I'm going to show you. There's a picture. Uh, Philippi was a pretty advanced culture and society. And so they have this. Any idea what this is? This is a public restroom. Not a lot of privacy. Am I right? That's where you would go in, and that's where you would do your business. When Paul said the word scubalon, he was referring to human garbage. Are you smelling what I'm stepping in? <laughs> poop. You all just said poop. Paul is saying, here's my pedigree, here's everything I've worked for, here's everything I've done. I, I am it, man. I have arrived. It's worthless. It's not even just like chaff, like it just blows away. It's like, it's kind of stinky. It's kind of gross. This is what it means to me. Because I've found something so much greater, so much more important, so much more life-giving. I have found something that just surpasses everything in my life. It is so good and so whole and so pure. It makes everything else look like garbage. And so he's writing this to the church because he knows the church in Philippi is struggling with something that many of us struggle with today, and that is what is the game that we are playing? What is our end? What is our goal? Because just like we talked about in football, in the last minute, a different team shows up to play because it's no longer we're just playing a game to play. At the end, we're playing a game to win. And Paul's saying, I live my life in a way, not just to live, but to live to win. That is my aim. 
That is my goal. And the stuff that I did before was about performance. This is about being as good as I can be and honoring God and serving him and serving his people and, and, and building wealth, building my kingdom. But what he discovered was that the doing was already done. And the desire of the God that he had served was not to get something from him, was not to do something for him, but was to know him. That what he thought he had to do to please God was actually God saying, no, 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 what I want is to know you. Let's keep reading. Philippians 3 verse 10 says this. I want to know Christ. To know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings. Becoming like him in his death and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. He's writing to the Philippian church who live in a culture that says life is all about you. It's about building your wealth, building your kingdom, living in a great house, retiring early, building a family, living in a way that honors God, that you give God something. This is what your life ought to be. Make a difference, leave an impression, build something for you, and then you move on and you die. And Paul was saying, I understand that that's what culture says. And many of us in this room need to hear that is still what our culture says. This is about you. This is about what you want and what you deserve and what you need in your life. And Paul says, that is wrong. That it is literally garbage. Paul said, I want to know something. And it's, I want to know Christ. That the God of the universe wants to know you. Let that sink for a second. Something that uh, Brian and I do a lot of times like before preaching on a Sunday is we'll come in here. We've told you this before. We'll come in here Saturday night and we walk these chairs and we pray for you. We don't know a lot of you. We don't know what you're going through. We don't know where you're at. We don't know what struggles are just weighing down on you in your life or in your marriage or in other relationships or work or health. We don't know. But as we're walking through, we're reminded that God knows you and that God loves you. And so anytime we pray, we, we pray for you. But then Brian and I split. And so either I'm here and Brian's over there or we vice versa. And I come in here and I sit in one of these front rows. And I sit down and I just close my eyes and I say, God, is there anything you want to say to me? Is there anything you want me to do? I'm a doer. I like, let me do something for you. Let me give something for you, God. God, is there anything you want to say to me? And without a doubt, and I forget it until he puts it on my heart every single time, it's this message. David, I love you. No performance, no task, no report card, 
no bank statement, no job promotion. I don't, I don't want anything from you other than your heart. So as Paul writes this to the Philippians, he's saying, the more I get to know my Savior, the more I need. Because I'm falling in love with the person of Jesus. Because Jesus loves us. Not based on performance, not what we can do, not what we have done, not what we did in the past, not even, not even just good stuff. Not, here's what's so funny. God knows every part of you. Do you realize that? There's nobody else in the world that knows every part about you, knows every thought, knows every sin, knows every area of brokenness, knows every area that your body's broken and not functioning, knows cancer, knows sickness, knows illness. He, he knows everything about you and everything even maybe some of you hate about you. He knows all of it and says, I love you so much, I couldn't even possibly love you anymore. Because a relationship with him isn't based on performance, it's based on relationship. What he said is, the doing has been done by Jesus. This is what Paul writes when he says, I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection. What that means is Jesus died on a cross. He became man, lived a life, succumbed to the same very uh, testing and temptation that we do, yet came out ahead. One, he never sinned, he never did wrong, he never, never broke his relationship with God. He came and he fulfilled everything that was needed to settle the score between us and God because our sin and our brokenness created a divide and a separation that could not be bridged without divine intervention. So God sent his son who served as the bridge, who died on a cross, buried in a tomb, and three days later rose from the dead. And, Christ, and, and Paul says, that is my God. Because God, it was as if he did this. You have an insurmountable debt. You'll never pay back. You can't do it. God goes, paid in full. That that was an acceptable sacrifice. Paul is saying, I want to know Christ. Because the more I get to know and the more I see, the more I long for. And that same God who's so in love with Paul is also in love with each and every person in this room. Do you know Jesus? This is maybe more for a lot of the Christians in the room or people who have followed Jesus, do you feel like you know the person of Jesus? Or do you feel like you, you more know a lot about the person of Jesus? If you don't have a relationship with him, if you say, I, I don't know him at all, do you know that God's desire for you, just as it is for every other person in this room, is to know and be known by you? That's his one aim. That's his one goal. He wants an intimate relationship with you, not based on performance, not based on past, based on your heart. That is what God wants more than anything. And I'm gonna give you a little, 
spoiler alert, that's why you're here. Because the God of the universe has a message he wants to share with you. And that is, you are worth every bit of the sacrifice I made 2,000 years ago. That I'm crazy about you. But I want to go back to that question. Do you feel like you know Jesus? Because I'll talk to the disciples, the Christians again. God wants nothing more than to know you deeper and deeper and deeper and wants to be known by you. Let's keep reading. This is Philippians 3, verse 13. It says, brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead. I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Here's one of the things I love about Paul. He's like a sports guy. He uses a lot of sports metaphors. And so if you grew up in church, what you may know is that there was a season of Paul's life where he worked as a tent maker. Uh, just a, a profession in that world. You would make tents. But here's what was cool about Paul is likely he was building tents for athletes who would compete in Olympic type games. What a cool fact. He would build tents. And so he was around arenas with athletes who just have accolades galore, who understand what it means to work and to persevere and to train and to get ready and perform. He was around this culture and he actually built tents. They didn't have hotels that they stayed in. They lived in tents and then got ready to go compete. So Paul is writing in house arrest in Rome, building tents for these athletes. And he's saying, oh man, you guys, there's a prize that we're working for. There's an award. There's, there's like a, a competition. Like this is, you can win. This is what we're playing for. We're playing for the win. And so I wanted to give you an analogy, present day, so that you, you get this. Uh, how many of you have ever heard the name Michael Phelps before? Have you ever heard of him? That's, it's sarcastic. Of course you have. He's the most decorated Olympian in history. Do you want to know something crazy about Michael Phelps? This is nuts. He trained... For leading up to the Olympics, he swam over 80,000 meters a week. Now, if you're like me, you're going, meters, I hate the metric system. I don't know how, what, let me translate it for you. He swam over 50 miles a week. Some of you don't drive 50 miles a week. And he's in a pool, swimming and swimming and swimming and swimming and swimming and swimming. So he's swimming and he's training and he's training. He lived on a 10 to 12,000 calorie diet a day to maintain his 165 pound body weight. Wouldn't that be awesome? Can I just say that? <laughs> this does not take a lot of maintenance. <laughs> you laughed at that way too quick. That was rude. So Michael Phelps trains and trains and trains and trains and trains. I mean, get this. He swam over 10,000 miles in training for a performance that often was less than two minutes. Did you catch that? His life was training and training and training and training and training and training and training for a very short performance. What Paul is saying as he writes to the Philippians is this. Do you have the same intensity for your relationship with God? 
because all of us are capable of that level of intensity and intentionality. And often it goes many different ways in our lives. It's career, it's family, it's future, it's retirement, it's education, you fill in the blank. And what Paul is saying is, you guys don't get it, the more I spend time with Jesus, the time just disappears. I just can't get enough. He just, he meets me in the depth of my soul. And when he talks about suffering, Paul, over his career as a missionary for the gospel, Paul went through the fire. He was arrested, he was beaten, he was flogged, he was ridiculed, his reputation was stripped, money was stripped, freedom was stripped, everything was stripped from Paul. And what he said is, in suffering, I found more joy than in anything else. Because of my relationship with God, when I suffered, I became like Jesus. I was talking to a couple this last week who was sharing with me just a little bit about their story and their ups and downs and ups and downs. And and one thing they said was, uh, as we look back at some of the worst moments in our life as a married couple, we actually treasure those moments the most because in the pain and in the suffering and in the darkness, they became much more intimate. So they got to know one another. Paul is saying the exact same thing, that in seasons of doubt and despair and sickness and illness and fear and anxiety and depression and brokenness, you can become intimate with your Savior. And Paul said, when I experience this Jesus, I just want to suffer more because I get to know him more. And we get closer and I understand his heart and I understand his heart for me because Jesus in the same way suffered out of love for us. And so Paul said, the more I experience suffering like my savior suffered for me, the more I understand how much he loves me. Wow. Do we live our lives with the same intensity? I don't want to assume that everybody in here is a follower of Jesus. I don't. If you're not, we're so happy you're here. It's a gift that you're here. But what you need to understand and what you need to know is that even if you don't have that intensity to get to know Jesus, Maybe even if you've been a follower of Jesus and you say, I don't have that same intense, I I just don't. It goes a million different ways and I feel guilty. The goal isn't to make you feel guilty, but here's what I want you to understand is that even though you may not feel that way about God, God feels that way about each and every person in this place. That he is wildly in love with you and will move mountains to speak to you so that in the darkness and in the brokenness and in the pain and in the mire and even in the sin, you can know that you're not captivated by that, that you're not held in bondage by it, that he is above it and over it and desires to free you from it, but will always use it to grow your relationship with him. If you're not a follower of Jesus, I just want you to hear one thing today, and that's this, Jesus loves you. 
and desperately wants a relationship with you. Let's keep reading. Philippians 3, verse 17. It says this. Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters, and just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. You're saying, I don't know what that looks like. I don't know how to do that. Paul's saying, find someone who does and watch them. Do what they do. For as I have often told you before and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things, but our citizenship is in, say it with me, heaven. That's where our citizenship is. If you say, I am a follower of Jesus. Your citizenship is not in this world, it's, it's in heaven. And we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, all the sickness, all the darkness, all the brokenness, the cancer, everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. He's saying, in Jesus, when you have a relationship with him, all of that stuff loses its power. Gone. Just like that. And then he transforms. And then he works miracles. And in the suffering, even though there's still suffering, you find comfort. And even more than comfort, you find joy because you get to know your savior in another deeper level. You get to know his love for you. Something many of you may be familiar with if you're from around here, if you attend here at Frontline, uh, but we have this thing called the zeros. These are five uh, kind of goals for us that we have. Here's our goal, here's our prize, here's what we're living for and striving towards. And the zeros are important to us because this sets the tone for the direction that we're headed as followers of Jesus. And it's this, there, we believe and we want to see zero needs among us. We don't want anybody in here to have need or to be longing or to be by themselves and just going, nobody's here to help. We want to be a church that helps people in need. We want to see zero lost people, zero people that don't have a relationship with God. We want to see zero. We, our goal is to go out and get everybody until Jesus says, I'm, I'm, you're done. Come here. You're coming home. We want to see zero lost people in our context. We want to see zero unconnected people. We want to see zero gods above him. Nothing like money or power or sex or work or retire. Nothing has power over it. We want to see zero gods before him. And last, we want to see zero unfulfilled callings. Each and every one of you has a calling given by God. And we want you to discover it and live into it, can you imagine how this could change your world? Can you imagine how this could change your family or our church, our community? Why stop there? What about our world? It would be unstoppable 
And it's for this reason that we do things like we use resources that you trust us with and give to you in tithes and offerings for when single moms come and they say, hey, I need help. My car's broken. I can't fix it. We say, we'd love to help. We're the church. We want zero needs among us. And so what can we do? That's why we serve hundreds of people in our community through the essential store. People who have needs, bare necessity needs. That's why we want to serve and give to them and help. It's why we have partnership with the storehouse who's making a huge impact in our world. Right over there. It says we just want to partner with a kingdom mentality that we just want to give away and partner so that we can come together and act like the church. It's why we celebrate stories of life change every time we have a baptism service. It's why we have 30 plus small groups for you to get connected and involved in. This is our purpose for existing as a church is zero. First service, there was a woman sitting right up here in front who reached out to our church about a year ago and she said, I don't go here. Um, I went once or twice and I liked it. I'm just wondering, can you help me? Single mom, two kids. I'm trying to get my kids in a, a safe place. I need a new place to live. Can you help? We went, sure. <laughs> That's an easy ask. What can we do? How, how can we help? We got her into an apartment. We helped her move, helped her secure it. A couple months later, she comes back and goes, my car's broken and I don't have any money to fix it. And I finally got the room, like the place is set up, we're good to go. Can you help? And we go, of course we can. We start tapping on shoulders here in this church and, and the church steps up, starts writing, people, you, start writing $500 checks. Start clearing your schedule to go work on her car. Start building a relationship with her family. Start investing in her kids. And so over the course of months and months and months, it's now been about a year, and she's sitting here, and every single week, tears streaming down her face. Because through the church, through you, she has come to know the love of the God that created her. And it's changing her life, and it's changing her kids' lives, and it's changing the lives of people here. And I couldn't even look at her first service because I would have just broke down and wept because all I saw was tears coming down her face. When we invest in the kingdom of God, putting aside culture and society and whatever that says is the win, when we say, God, I want to know you and know you more, use me, God uses that to change people's worlds. And he desires to do that for you. So I don't know where you're at. I don't know where you're at in your relationship with God. I don't know where you're at in life. I don't know what you're struggling with. I don't know if there's sin that has you captive. I, I don't know any of that, but our Savior does. And I would love to just step into a time of prayer that you might meet, maybe some of you for the first time, the God that is madly in love with you and present those to him. God, we just come before you today grateful Thank you for your son, Jesus. Thank you for the way that you love us so much that you sacrificed what was most important to you so that we might know you. 
God, a lot of us are carrying burdens today. We're carrying weighty, hefty burdens that we don't know what to do with. Maybe some of us are sick. Some of us are have broken families. Some of us have broken marriages. Some of us just feel lost. Some of us are addicted. Some of us are struggling with sin. Some, God, we're all struggling and carrying something right now. And I just pray, Father, that you would just hear us as we say that to you. That we say, God, this is what's weighing me down right now. I just want to create space for that. And God, I just thank you for hearing the prayers of your people. I just pray through the power of your Holy Spirit that you would be present and active and that you would remind them that they are so loved by you. Thank you for the way you use us. Thank you for your church. Thank you for inviting us to be a part of the best mission we could ever be a part of. We love you. And everyone said together, amen.